I'm not going to lie. I love the superhero movies. And sometimes I wonder, what would it take to help young people form an intergalactic army of the just, a super team of civically engaged values-driven leaders that are ready to take on society's biggest challenges and help our communities flourish? Well, this is no fantasy. Today, we have my friend Raj Vinokoda, who joined a nonprofit called the Aspen Institute to build this super team of young people. Welcome to Think Schools with Alex Hernandez, a podcast about the amazing things going on in education. Raj Vinokoda runs the Youth and Engagement Division at the Aspen Institute, a new effort to build civic-minded youth leaders in every corner of America. Before joining the Aspen Institute two years ago, Raj co-founded the Seed Schools, the country's first network of public boarding schools. I got to know Raj through an Aspen Institute leadership program and had the privilege of watching him make the jump to this exciting new chapter of his life. This conversation was recorded at the Aspen Action Forum in July 2017. Raj, awesome to have you here. Before we dive into your work, I'm hoping you'd share some of your K-12 story. So in order to know my K-12 story, you have to know my father's education story. Um, He's the son of a rice farmer in a town of 600 people in Andhra Pradesh, one of the two poorest uh, states in India. And he and his three brothers and two sisters all not only went to college, but went on to get advanced degrees because their father, who earned 30 rupees a month, spent 24 of them on making sure that their kids got an education. I never met my grandfather. He passed away a few months before I was born, Mm. um, but I got his name. And along with it, not only the stories of my grandfather, but just the emphasis around how education can change people's lives. So my father moved to Switzerland to get his PhD. I was born there. Then we moved to the United States. And when we ended up settling in Milwaukee, when my father became a professor, he literally went to all the school systems in the area and said, we're going to move into this school district because it's the best school district in the area. And I'm going to figure out a way to buy a home there. And that's what he did. And so I was lucky to have just a tremendous public education, but also recognizing that it's not what one would call a regular public education experience. It was the elite public education experience to the point where my senior year in high school was challenging enough that it really did get me ready to go to Princeton. I was taking AP classes. I had incredibly challenging teachers who also were very supportive and it was very diverse. So I was lucky in that I got everything that the public education system was set up and intended to do. I'm guessing a lot of folks had never heard of the Aspen Institute. Help us understand what is the Aspen Institute and why does it exist? The Aspen Institute was founded 60 plus years ago under the belief that only by engaging in civil discourse, only by thinking about values-based leadership, would you stop things like World War II. Mm. That that had been a tremendous breakdown of how people thought about values leadership. And Walter Pepke, who founded the Aspen Institute, got a group of business leaders and a group of academic leaders to say, how do we develop leaders so that this doesn't happen again? So how does the Aspen Institute help people lead with their values? What does that experience look like? The flagship Crown Fellows Program and then the 17 programs that they spawned really focus around bringing people who have already achieved success. And they come together five times over 18 months and they get a big book of readings, right? And those readings are incredibly diverse. They start with Aristotle and they include MLK, Letter from a Birmingham Jail and Antigone and a host of other readings that we've all done all the way to Wendell Berry and uh, the Mad Farmer's Liberation Front. And 
The idea is that you bring diverse people together who have some connection. So the Crown Fellows is around business leaders. Pahar is around education reformers. Central American leadership is exactly what you think it is, and so on and so forth. And they talk not only about the readings, but how it impacts the way in which they think about their values as they're leading not only their businesses and nonprofits, but also how they act as leaders in their communities. You have leaders from around the world thinking about the ethics of artificial intelligence or the future of nuclear power. This is real grown-up stuff. Why open up your doors to kids? When Walter Isaacson, the CEO of the Aspen Institute, approached me a couple of years ago, he said, we, the Aspen Institute, the board and I have decided that we're going to start a new division, the third division of the Institute, that's going to focus on working directly with young people. And over the span of the last two years, we have decided that we need to develop thoughtful, socially conscious young leaders to solve the critical issues of today. The Aspen Institute needs to be in the business of developing virtuous citizens. And virtuous not in that kind of sense of kind of the church virtue, but rather in the Aristotelian sense of when the Greeks were talking about citizens, what they meant is that they wanted a republic where the citizens worried about the needs of the community above their own personal interests. Raj, you yourself are an Aspen fellow. How did this experience help you say, this is how I want to spend the next chapter of my life? In talking through some of the readings and talking about how I valued certain things over others, it became clear to me, frankly, that I'd become, in Martin Luther King's words, a white moderate, mm. um, and that I had lost both the passion and the desire and the focus on really making a change on the world. There is no doubt that my experience in the fellowship and some of the challenges that I was able to go through as I did that then led me to, when I came to the Aspen Institute, to think about how do we do this with young people? Mm. There were actually two other motivating factors. One is so many of the most talented young people in mid-sized cities and rural areas are leaving. They're going to the big city and they're never coming back. And I've realized both from my personal experiences and from talking to people around Ferguson, around uh, Baltimore and so on, that the best and the brightest don't stay in those cities as much as they need to. And we don't have a pipeline of leaders there. And then finally, and this is one of those amazing stories, I learned about the Liberty Fellows, uh, a fellowship in South Carolina. I think we are all aware two years ago about the horrific massacre in Charleston. Yeah. Uh, it was right following up on the, both the Ferguson and the Freddie Gray situation. But there was a group of leaders who came together and said, look, we're not gonna have happen here what happened there. Let's figure out how we don't have that conflagration. And oh, by the way, let's use this as a mechanism to do something good, which is bringing down the Confederate flag in Columbia. And they were able to do that. And what I learned when I came here to the Aspen Institute is that 75% of that group that was in doing the backroom deal all had been Liberty Fellows in the 10 wow. years before. They all knew each other. They were Caucasian, they were black, they were middle class, they were poor, they were rich. They didn't necessarily agree, but they knew that they could be in that room and trust each other to work to a solution, trust the confidentiality. And what they were able to do is to me is a perfect example of what happens when you build trust over generations. Our friend Peter Ryling talks about building an intergalactic army of the just, which is a phrase I used at the beginning of this pod. How do you do this with 15 and 16 year olds? So the 15 and 16 year olds who come to AYLF, the Aspen Young Leaders Fellowship, are motivated because they wanna make a difference in their hometowns and because they wanna start doing it now. 
And so you see just amazing bonding happening, even in the first couple of days, as they're working together, not only about what does it mean to be Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Hidalgo or other leaders, but also how they're gonna change their city. And let me tell you a story, uh, because I think to me it points out how you break down barriers. Mm. This is the second day of AYLF. There are three kids in a small group as one of my colleagues is walking by and they're talking about how to change the city. And one of them says, well, I'm a Republican, right? But I'm thinking this. And you hear an inhale of breath by the other two kids. <gasps> and one of them says, but we like you. And so to me, that is a perfect example of how young people can create connections and bonds that will hopefully overcome some of these tribal tendencies that you have everywhere in this country and globally. And if you break down these bonds now, when they're gonna be mayor and running the biggest businesses in St. Louis, and they're going to be running the biggest nonprofits, and you have another crisis situation, they're gonna be able to call on each other and say, how are we gonna solve this problem? And they will have had 10, 15, 20 years of a relationship with these people. They will trust them. They will all know much about the city. And I have no doubt that they'll figure it out. There's this growing sense that we can do more to unleash our kids, especially in high school. When we say let's help kids find their passions or let's give kids more agency, which is kind of a $10 word, what I think we're really saying is there's this magical place where kids have the motivation and skills to make real impact. How do you unleash the youth in your programs? I think that so much of our work right now is steeped in this concept that the adult is telling the young person what to do. And I'm trying to work hard to flip that script in that the young person has passions and desires and it's the adult's role and responsibility to support it Every once in a while, they do a little bit of course redirection, yeah, sure. right? Well, give me an example. I mean, let's let's, let's dig into somewhere. Yeah. Like, get, give us a city, a neighborhood where you're where a group of students is working on this issue right now. Sure. Here's a perfect example through a program called the Aspen Challenge. Um, we do this work across many different cities. In Chicago, we gave twenty different high schools a challenge, six challenges. One of which was figure out how you break down the barrier between police and youth. And one of the schools in the south side of Chicago, these eight students got together and said, you know what, we need to create mechanisms where we're interacting with not only the beat cops, but also the leadership on a more consistent basis. And they created so much positive reinforcement that this school has become the leader in recreating the relationship between police and students in South Chicago. It's called Wendell High School that they won the Aspen Challenge in Chicago. They were able to convince 50 other students from other high schools to also come and engage in this work. And because they won the Chicago Aspen Challenge, this group of eight students was able to come out here to the Aspen Ideas Festival yeah. to actually do a presentation on their work. And one of the, to me, most poignant and exciting little stories is that on their way to the airport, they got a police escort to O'Hare because the Chicago Police Department was so excited about the work that they were doing and wanted to make sure that they sent them off correctly. That's awesome. So just one thing about agency, because to me, when I talk to the high school teacher of those kids, those kids didn't self-select and come and say, yeah, I have agency. No, they came looking for a challenge and literally figured out not only which challenge they wanted to take on, they figured out how they wanted to address the problem. They then went and tried it. They then got feedback and had to present on what they did, right? To me, every single one of those steps is a portion of developing agency in young people. I wanna pull this thread a little more. Aspen historically works with small groups of fellows, 24 at a time. How do you move from impacting individual leaders to impacting communities? 
There's a number of ways we get to that. I'll use one of our programs and one of our students as an example. Her name is Molly Freed. Uh, Molly was a Bezos scholar. And about five years ago, uh, she was chosen as one of 30 young people. We choose kids in Title I schools and one nominating teacher to come out here for Ideas Festival. And they have to do a huge application process and they get in. And then they get to spend time with amazing people talking just to them and they get to go to everything they want to go to but they have one caveat. They have to take back everything that they've learned and do a local ideas festival themselves. Interesting. Right? And so Molly went back to Washington, the state of Washington, and she and her teacher got very excited about issues around water and water availability. And so she started a local program specifically around her school around these issues. And they gained such traction that she was able to convince other students to continue to do it. She was able to convince her school principal to integrate that work into the curriculum of their social studies program. And then it got so exciting that she was able to get the whole school district to have an annual local ideas festival around not only water scarcity, but all of the impacts around health and food and so on and so forth. So you take one child, Molly, from 2010, by 2015, she's impacting a whole school district around specific issues that are pertaining to them and globally to every single child. It seems to me that tackling social problems is only one piece of the puzzle. We're so divided into tribes, whether they're based on race or class or religion or politics, it's hard to have the constructive dialogue you were talking about. How do we get more civil discourse in our country? We're working really hard to figure out how do you teach young people effective civil discourse? I know how to do it at a 24 person by person basis, Mm. but how do we do it at a 2,400 person or 24,000 person basis? And I'm spending time with a lot of people who both think about the content, but also who all think about how do young people learn social norms nowadays? Because they don't learn in AP history class, which is where they're being taught effective civil discourse. They're learning it on Snapchat. They're learning it on Facebook. They're learning it on three new technologies I don't even know about. And so I am literally trying to figure out with a group of both technologists and content experts, how do you drive social norm and pro-social behavior through these means? So after two years of working with kids across America, do you still agree with Whitney Houston that the children are our future? Young people all around this country are already doing great things in their community. We just don't know about it and we're not nurturing it, we're not celebrating it, and we're not using young people as role models for others to realize that they can make a difference as well. We'll be announcing a program that aims to do just this throughout the country. It'll start in a few different cities. It'll go to try to find those young people who are already making a difference that nobody knows about and help support them. And then it's gonna have a national blitz campaign so that everyone starts to know young people are already making the difference. I'm not worried about the future because I'm already seeing what they're doing in their communities. And I wanna make sure that everyone else sees it as well. Bill Gates once famously said, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in a decade. What will the Aspen Youth Leadership Initiative have accomplished in 10 years? So 10 years from now, the work in my division and the work of the Aspen Institute to develop virtuous citizens will have done three things. The first is we'll have created these pipelines of leaders. We'll have started to think about how young people are taking ownership for the direction of their community in multiple ways. Secondly, we'll have done something that I think is incredibly important, but not discussed often. I'm a scientist by training. I come at this from an intellectual and analytical perspective. 
And we are also developing measures for these things, mm. right? And so we have some of the best researchers who are actually joining our team over the next year. We'll start to be able to analyze, is this actually making a difference on an individual level, on a cohort level, on a societal level? And I think that's going to be incredibly important to the discussion of whether we know whether we're doing the right thing. And do you have hypotheses about what those measures might be or how oh, you'll yeah. measure impact? I, could, I can spend a half hour with you. So the best known tool around leadership development and trust building is something called the multi-institute study of leadership. The principal investigator is a professor in Chicago named John Dugan, who has decided to leave his position and he's joining my team wow. and he's going to lead our program design and analytics work. And MSL has studied 550,000 young people at 60 universities over the last 15 years. We actually have a norm reference set of data across 14 tools around the capacities for leadership in young people that we'll be able to start to use and say, okay, is this making a difference over time in specific ways across these 14 measures? So we can get incredibly geeky if we want to. And I want to be able to understand at that level as well. The third piece of what I think the Institute will have done. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want part of our work to go across the country and say, you know what, there are three or four or five programs out there that are already doing amazing things in terms of developing virtuous citizens, and they need more jet fuel so that they can touch many more people. And I'd like to be that jet fuel. I'd like to be able to support existing programs that are doing great stuff in places you don't know so that we can say, hey, this is not an Aspen Institute thing. There are things going on throughout this country, and we want to elevate them, and we want to grow them. You talk about having tools to measure leadership in young people. And in a lot of schools, academics get all the attention, probably because they're the easiest things to measure. But as parents, we know there's so much more. Is my child growing up to care about others? Does my kid have a moral compass to help guide them when life gets crazy? In my experience, there's not great measures for these types of things. What is the opportunity here? Is there an opportunity here? So I see huge potential for um, our ability to measure and think deeply about the work that we're doing that is not purely academic, yeah. right? And you and I did come from the same place, right? We both got into this field at the same time and we really talked about the academic outcomes and then we became parents and then we said, yeah. there's a lot more. It's an and, yeah. right? And the Aspen Institute is never gonna get in the business of starting schools, yeah. but we are going to get in the business of doing those other things that are just as important. You need to read, write, and do all that stuff, but you also need to be a good person. You also need to think about what the common good is for society. And those pieces, we're actually well positioned to do. I'm really excited that as we can get more analytical about that, that we're not just gonna get analytical for our sake, we're gonna get analytical for society's sake, right? I wanna share this information. I wanna learn from others. I wanna be able to see, how do different programs have different impacts on aspects of being a good person? Yes. As parents, we want our kids to be good people. What else have you learned as a parent that impacts how you approach your work? Once I became a father, I just got to realize exactly how lucky both I was and how lucky my daughter was going to be and blessed with the resources that she would have available to her from neonatal care before she yeah. even knew what she was going to be. And that's what we should want in our society for everybody. In addition to that, one of the things that I've learned is my daughter and everyone that she interacts with has a tremendous capacity for questioning and for thinking differently about issues. And I never, ever want her to stop being curious. And to me, 
at its core, that ability to be observant and curious and have associative thinking by being able to bring different ideas together, I think is at the core of being innovative. As our friend Keith would say, it's the beginning of wisdom. (laughs) It's just the beginning, but it's necessary, right? And the curiosity of a child, uh, you know, knows no bounds. And as long as you can use that and work with that and support that, I think that any child can be a kind of a society changer. You've had some incredible experiences as a father. You also gave life to the seed school in DC. And this is a public boarding school uh, serving a largely African-American population. What were the biggest lessons seed taught you? I took away so many great experiences and learned so much from the mistakes I made. The single most important thing that I learned that I have put into the work here at the Aspen Institute is just the importance of heterogeneity in the work that we do with young people. It's really important that you have people of different backgrounds and experiences and capabilities engaging together. I am a fervent believer that that heterogeneity in whatever cohort you want to call it, a classroom, a whole grade, a school, a cohort at the Aspen Institute and so on, actually makes everybody better and makes the outcomes on an individual and a group level so much better because these different perspectives are so important to being successful in life. Our best classes at the seed schools were the ones that were more heterogeneous. Mm. And the more time we spent looking at it, the more we realized that that was one of the driving factors to the success of our little societies, these schools where literally our kids were living with us. In our closing seconds, bring us back to the why. Why this work? Why now? I believe in the core of my soul that the only way that democracies and republics exist and flourish is because people who are citizens take an ownership and really believe in the direction of their society. I think we're at a really difficult place right now, both this nation and many other nations. And by revitalizing this idea that citizenship, besides the ideas of immigration and so on, but that citizenship has roles and responsibility and requires you to think about the greater good, is fundamental to whether or not we as a nation succeed and flourish. So when I work with these young people and I see them taking agency for improving their communities, when I work with these young leaders who wanna do social ventures and wanna be their leaders in St. Louis and wanna be the leaders in Newark and so on, I am both gratified and I feel like we have touched on something. These programs, when you and I are having this conversation five years from now, will be all over this country. They'll be in urban locations, they'll be in rural locations. And these young people will be coming together to ensure that our country flourishes. I wanna thank Raj Vinokota for joining us today. We've got a lot riding on you and the young leaders who are leading with their hearts, their values, their passions. Follow their adventures at aspeninstitute.org. That's it for us. Hasta luego, good people.